Welcome to this latest episode in the Herbert Smith Freehills FDI Friday podcast series, in which our foreign direct investment regulation experts are sharing their insights into FDI regimes around the globe. I'm Ruth Allen, a professional support lawyer in our competition regulation and trade practice in London, and I'm joined today by David Dorborn and Celia Cognar, both HSF partners working for many years at the firm's associated law firm in Jakarta, focusing on FDI and cross-border transactions into Indonesia. The Indonesian government has taken a number of steps in recent years to liberalise the foreign investment regime and improve the ease of doing business in Indonesia. However, there are still a number of restrictions and notification obligations which it's important for investors to consider at the outset of any transaction. Before we delve into the specifics of the regulation of foreign investment into Indonesia, David, could you perhaps start off by sharing a bit of background about Indonesia generally and the investment prospects more broadly? Yeah, sure, Ruth. Um, to set the scene, I'll, I'll perhaps if I run through first uh, some key facts about Indonesia today to show why Indonesia uh, is increasingly important um, as an FDI focus. Indonesia is Southeast Asia's largest economy with the world's fourth largest population of around 280 million people. It has a large middle class, already about 60 million people, with another 40 million or so in the aspiring class. Indonesia is the world's 10th largest economy in terms of purchasing power parity. It was president of the G20 Group of Nations in 2022. In line with IMF and Goldman Sachs assessments, the government's objective is now that Indonesia will become the world's fourth largest economy within the next 20 years, and it will move to developed economy status. Currently in the process um, of applying to join the OECD and is the first emerging G20 economy and ASEAN member to do so. So why is it important? The size of Indonesia's population and economy, its mineral resources wealth, and its strategically advantageous geographic location on the international shipping lanes within Asia also make Indonesia a market that is quite appealing um, for investors. To meet its grand economic objectives, the country has a huge need for infrastructure development over the next decades. Although there can be some practical challenges associated with doing business in Indonesia, the economy has diversified greatly and the Indonesian government has in recent years focused on improving the country's infrastructure. It has also streamlined bureaucratic processes to make it easier for investors to operate in Indonesia. Prospects for investments are generally seen as positive in most sectors and in particular the thriving digital economy, financial services, consumer sector, manufacturing and healthcare. The rapid and successful digitization Indonesia has experienced has brought millions of new Indonesian into the consumption economy, which has transformed the economy. Finally, it's worth mentioning that Indonesia is the world's third largest democracy. It will hold its next presidential and parliamentary elections in the first half of 2024 
the current popular and successful president, Joko Widodo, is finishing his second and final five-year term. The leading successor candidates are both generally committed to continuing current economic programs. Thanks, David. Some really useful context there. Um, Celia, could you now give us a bit of a high-level introduction to the FDI regime in Indonesia and how that works in general? Sure, happy happy to do so. Um, generally speaking, FDI restrictions have eased over recent years, um, and most lines of businesses are now open to foreign investment. Um, and there are three sort of exceptions to this. Uh, the first one being um, sectors which are closed for both domestic as well as foreign investment under what we call the investment list. Um, the second exception is in relation to those uh, sort of lines of business which are partially open for foreign ownership. And these are really um, those businesses which are perhaps, you know, subject to a certain uh, percentage maximum uh, ownership caps. And finally, there are also um, exceptions which relate to additional requirements which uh, would require a foreign investor partnering with a small, micro or medium-sized enterprises. So I think what we can say is that the, the regulatory system is relatively benign. In short, when a foreign investor comes to Indonesia, they need to identify the type of business activities that they would like to undertake. And this requires an assessment of the investment list, as well as the relevant uh, sectoral restrictions. So perhaps, for example, the, the businesses which are currently 100% open for foreign investment um, include most distribution and manufacturing lines of businesses. Uh, meanwhile, for other more sensitive businesses such as uh, national or universal postal services are subject to a maximum foreign ownership cap of 49%. Um, so it's very important to always look at the investment list uh, as well as the uh, sectoral regulations. So, for example, in the healthcare sector, um, whilst private general and specialist hospitals have been liberalized in recent years to allow for up to 100% foreign ownership, there are still requirements in sectoral regulations um, to have uh, at least 200 beds, uh, which apply to hospitals which are owned, um, invested by foreign investors, and, and they are called Class A and Class B hospitals. So it's very important to conduct a sort of holistic assessment of uh, the FDI restrictions which may apply. Um, and as mentioned, it, it involved really looking at the, not only the investment law, but also the sectoral regulations in that particular sector. Thanks, Celia. A really useful overview there. Um, could we turn perhaps to talk about the different types of vehicles or legal forms through which people carry on business in Indonesia? Are there any capital requirements to consider when establishing those different entity types? Yeah, in general, 
um, all foreign direct investment in Indonesia must be made through um, a locally established uh, foreign investment company in Indonesia, what we call a PMA company. Um, and that's either by um, setting up a new um, local company, um, a new PMA company, or you can acquire shares in an existing company and, and have its status changed to PMA company status. Um, what that means is that foreign businesses can't operate through branches um, in Indonesia. Normally, um, FDI is done through um, an, uh, an online registration system, what we call the OSS system, um, which enables fairly quick initial PMA company establishment uh, with a second final registration updating done um, once any prescribed investment conditions have been satisfied. If the sector is open, uh, no regulatory assessment of appropriateness or viability um, of the particular investment is required. On capital requirements, all PMA companies must now um, comply with a, a minimum capital requirement, namely to have issued and paid up share capital of at least 10 billion rupiah, which in dollar terms is about 640,000 US dollars. Thanks, David. And Celia, you mentioned that the Indonesian government has recently taken the initiative to liberalize the foreign investment regime and improve the ease of doing business. Could you tell us a bit more about that and perhaps also bring in the November 2020 omnibus law? Yes, yes, that's right. So um, following the enactment of the omnibus law, uh, the government has passed a number of regulations aimed at improving the ease of doing business in Indonesia. Um, so the omnibus law uh, amended more than 70 existing laws and regulations, which when taken together, it, it basically covers virtually all major economic sectors and aspects of economic activity. And uh, there were also many important facets of the country's governmental, regulatory and planning systems, which were reformed. Um, specifically in the investment sector, uh, a very significant change introduced by the omnibus law was the adoption by the Indonesian government and uh, relevant regulators of a risk-based licensing systems, uh, which is aimed at easing and streamlining licensing applications in Indonesia. Um, so under this system, business lines or activities are divided into four main categories based on their risk level. So you have low risk uh, businesses, medium low risk businesses, medium high risk uh, businesses and, and high risk businesses. And so each of these categories of businesses will entail uh, different licensing requirements and certain conditions uh, that the relevant company must fulfill. Um, so uh, if we look at the other sectors, however, uh, such as financial services, which are within the purview of the Indonesia uh, Financial Services Authority, uh, whom we call OJK, um, and Bank of Indonesia, uh, you still need prior regulatory approvals, uh, depending on the specific business that the uh, company would like to carry out in Indonesia. 
So for example, if you have a um, investor who wants to operate a payment service provider, uh, which is a bank uh, or institution other than a bank, um, then that entity must submit an application to become a payment service provider for approval by Bank Indonesia prior to conducting any business in Indonesia. Uh, but those are for the regulated sector, such as financial services. So I think in short, although the speed of, you know, getting a license for an investment company or a PME company, as David mentioned earlier, up and running has improved for most business sectors since uh, the introduction of the omnibus law, as well as the OSS system. Um, digitalization has given rise to some more technical administrative issues in the system. Um, the system gets regularly updated, but there are sometimes technical issues uh, which can create a bit of frustration for our clients when navigating through the system. Thanks, Celia. Certainly helpful to be aware of in advance. Um, in relation to M&A transactions, are there any mandatory notification or voluntary notifications in Indonesia that investors need to be aware of? Yeah, there are from a number of perspectives, apart from the, the basic online registration through the OSS system itself. Um, in M&A, public notification may be required for a transaction if there is a change of control of, a, of an Indonesian company as a result of the, the, the transaction. A change of control acquisition in Indonesia typically requires a public announcement to creditors um, in a local newspaper, um, notification to employees, as well as uh, post-completion notification to the Ministry of Law and Human Rights. Also for control acquisitions in certain more regulated sectors, there may be a, a regulatory uh, approval requirement for example, the Indonesian Financial uh, Services Authority, OJK, needs to approve um, control investments in certain financial services companies like banks and insurance companies. From a competition law angle also, um, there is a merger control filing uh, requirement that has become uh, quite important now in Indonesian M&A. Um, the regulator of competition in Indonesia is the Indonesian Competition Commission, known as KPPU. This merger control requirement applies if the post-transaction business exceeds certain prescribed thresholds. Generally, an Indonesian asset value of 2.5 trillion rupiah, which is approximately 160 million US dollars, and or an alternative test, um, an Indonesian sales value of 5 trillion rupiah, which is approximately 320 million uh, US dollars. Whether a prior or post notification uh, or approval to regulators is required um, does have to be assessed, obviously, um, on a case-by-case -case basis. Every transaction is different and it depends also on the specific sector involved. Thanks, David. And are there any public takeover rules? Um, yes, yes, there are. So 
um, takeover of Indonesian public companies are subject to uh, separate regulations, which are issued by Indonesia's capital markets regulator called OJK. And in broad terms, um, any control acquisition of an Indonesian public company will require the new controller or the acquirer to undertake a mandatory tender offer to the public shareholders unless certain exemptions apply. Um, there are also rules regarding the maintenance of a minimum public free float of 7.5% for public companies. Um, and, and perhaps if I can also mention that for uh, private companies, additional regulatory requirements uh, will apply in the regular uh, in the regulated sectors, such as the one that uh, David mentioned, uh, financial services, uh, but also oil and gas exploration and, and production. So, for example, an oil and gas company would be required to first obtain the approval uh, from the Ministry of Energy and Mineral Resources in the event the transfer of the shares will result in the change of control of that company. Thanks, Celia. And um, drawing on your experience of advising um, clients on, on M&A into Indonesia, um, could you talk a bit more about um, the sectors and the types of transactions that are likely to attract most scrutiny from regulators and what the approach to enforcement is in terms of enforcement and sanctions by regulators in Indonesia? Yeah, the general um, FDI environment in Indonesia is probably de best described as being bureaucratic, um, but it's it's actually relatively benign, I think, compared to some jurisdictions. Um, it has moved from a regulatory pre-approval process uh, to more of a self-assessment registration um, through the OSS system that we mentioned. Um, and in practice, um, the Indonesian foreign investment regulator known as BKPM does not seem to actively monitor compliance with many of the investment list issues, um, at least upon initial registration. Often whether a specific business is likely to attract scrutiny from regulators will depend on whether there's any particular media focus on the area or the particular company from time to time, and which sectors or activities are hot political issues um, you know, at a particular time. For example, transactions involving consumer products where there have been allegations of uh, unfair business practices that may affect consumers directly have been the subject of increased scrutiny from the competition authority KPPU in recent years. Also, as I mentioned, transactions in more regulated sectors, you know, such as financial services and the uh, natural resources sector will typically attract more regulatory scrutiny, which comes from the regulatory requirement often to, to make certain public disclosures or obtain approval from the relevant regulator. Thanks, David. Some really interesting insights there. Just finally, you've both already shared some practical points from your experience of advising clients in this area, but do you have any other thoughts or final practical tips for doing business in Indonesia, which you'd like to highlight? Yeah, I think just to sum up, you know, as 
as as Celia's mentioned, while there have been you know promising developments and liberalisations in 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 recent years that have resulted in more openness um, of many business sectors for foreign uh, investment, um, as well as the process of applying for licences itself, um, it is still uh, a, a necessity that in navigating the technical, national, sectoral and local regulations, um, it does require some careful understanding um, and um, would recommend, you know, experienced legal advice on, on those issues. Um, it's a, it's, it is still um, not straightforward when you have to put together the various uh, regulatory perspectives that might be relevant. Yeah, and, and maybe one, one tip from me, Ruth, is um, what we see, you know, uh, when investors are coming in and negotiating transaction documents, they tend to want to uh, rely on uh, the relevant foreign law that they're uh, familiar with. And that, um, you know, is sometimes uh, sort of hotly negotiated with their Indonesian counterparty. But I think one thing to bear in mind is that it's more important actually to look at the dispute resolution forum uh, rather than just focusing on the governing law. So, you know, in cross-border transactions, of course, it's fine to use either foreign law or Indonesian law to govern the contract. But broadly speaking, when we advise foreign clients uh, doing business in Indonesia, we would suggest using uh, a foreign dispute resolution forum, um, such as uh, the one in Singapore called the Singapore International Arbitration Centre, or uh, SEIC. And they are very well equipped to sort of advise on complex cross-border transactions, uh, such as the one, uh, the ones that David and I uh, usually advise on. Thanks, Celia. And thanks to you as well, David, for sharing your insights today. It's been a really interesting discussion. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for, but thanks to our listeners for joining us. And please do let us know if you have any feedback on this episode or indeed any suggestions for areas to cover in future episodes of FDI Friday. This week, I've also been talking to Nanda Lau and Gavin Gua about the Chinese FDI regime. And that episode is also now live on our website alongside this one.